Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. We are talking New Year's Six, playoff picks, and a little bit more about the USC Trojans. I got a bone to pick with some fans here, but that's all right. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify. Leave a review. Share it with your friends. Uh, send me emails, Talk at gmail.com. As well as find me on X or Twitter or whatever you call that app now, as well as Instagram. Big Ten Football Talk is the handle there. We're going to get right to it. We're talking college football. Uh, we're talking New Year's Six, excuse me, here for the Big Ten. Uh, and then we'll do both playoff games because, believe it or not, the playoff has both a current Big Ten team and a future Big Ten team. So we're going to talk about both those games. Uh, But we're going to start with the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic pitting number nine Missouri against number seven Ohio State. Ohio State, a one-point favorite coming into this game uh, against uh, Missouri. It's an 8 p.m. kick on December 29th. That's a Friday night. And I'll tell you, it's this and as well as the the game that Penn State's going to be in are both, the Peach Bowl, are both going to be a little bit more tricky to kind of nail down because the reality is we're still a little in the dark over who is opting out and who isn't. Uh, Ohio State has not really announced any opt-outs outside of the transfers. Uh, Lathan Ransom is going to be out. I still am, I think, very, am pretty convinced that Marvin Harrison and Denzel Burke will be out of this game. That's not a, I'm not reporting that. Uh, I'm just saying both those guys, from what I've heard, are first round grades. Obviously, Marvin Marvin Harrison is a first round grade. Several other high profile juniors have said they are playing, and then others are at least practicing. So, Emeka Abuka has said he's playing. No NFL draft decision yet. Travion Henderson. Uh, has been pictured with the team, but no decision yet. He's been very clear that he has not made a decision yet on his future. So th- there's there is a lot of buzz that a lot of juniors might be coming back. You know, guys like JT Tuimoloau, Jack Sawyer. Jack Sawyer said he's playing in this game and that they're taking this game very seriously. Uh, on the other side, I don't think there's any opt outs for Missouri, but a couple of their top defensive players. Ennis Rakestraw and Tyron Hopper are out due to injury. Uh, That's a a corner and a linebacker. So Missouri very much motivated. Uh, Eli Drinkowitz, the the head coach, uh, seems very locked in. Uh, Chris uh, Kwisineski from uh, a, a Missouri beat writer, he had an interview with 11 Warriors, which is an Ohio State fan site. He... He really thinks that Missouri sees this as the biggest game in their program in the in the past 10 years, maybe since the SEC championship game. 
And so motivation very high for Missouri. I like what Ohio State players are saying about this game, but my concern with Ohio State over the past several years under Ryan Day and with this cast of players has been they often talk a big game and then they kind of fall short. So to me, in a sense, talk is cheap. Talk will continue to be cheap until they beat Michigan, quite honestly. That being said, you know, a lot of people look at Missouri and think, oh, man, they're, they're a really good team. You know, they, they were close against Georgia, really really kept it close against Georgia, nine-point loss um, at Athens. So, like, it was at Georgia, and then they played LSU at home, and they lost 49-39, to again, only a 10-point loss. You know, they, they did pretty well in the SEC East. But, you you know, if you think about, you look at their schedule, you look at who they've played, you know, they had a nice win against Kansas State at home uh, early in the season. They, they beat Kentucky when Kentucky was ranked. Kentucky's not that good. They beat Tennessee when Tennessee was ranked. Tennessee's not really that good, in my opinion. Uh, they struggled against Florida down the stretch. And then they, you know, they beat up on Arkansas. But I, I'm just, this is my conundrum, is I, I'm not sure Missouri and the SEC, for, for that matter, is as good as they've been in the past. I, I don't think the SEC is as deep. And I'm not sure Missouri has proven much. And granted, I think they have their offense has been very, very good. Schrader at running back uh, has been really, really talented for them. You know, rushed for over 200 yards against Tennessee and Arkansas to close out the season. You know, he he seems to have gotten better as the season has gone along. A lot of a lot of good receivers. I think an underrated receiving core and Burden and Weiss and. and uh, I think Cooper is another uh, is another receiver, a former Ohio State player who plays for them. Schrader can can make plays out of the backfield uh, as well. So dynamic offense, and I think probably the best offense that Ohio State has faced all season. So I I think that will be a challenge for this defense. You know, obviously if Burke isn't playing and if Tui Moloa opts out, that could that could be really tough. I do think Ohio State matches up fairly well. Like, I don't think Missouri's line play is as strong as a Michigan or as a Notre Dame. And so I think even if – I think if Tui Molo out is out, it'll be a little bit difficult. But I I do think Ohio State probably has a little bit more on the lines, even with – I don't think Ohio State's offensive line is great, but I think they're probably good enough to – open up some running lanes. If Henderson plays, which I think he will, uh, and Dallin Hayden, I, I think both of those guys can probably do some damage on, in the run game. And I think the receiving core, whoever it is, uh, you know, I think Abuka, Abuka's already said he's playing. I do think Ohio State has a favorable matchup uh, against the the corners. The, the real question is, you know, Devin Brown steps in, comma cord transfers. So what's that going to be like? Right. Is Devin Brown, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of people are saying Devin Brown looks great in practice. That's great. I want to see him live. I want to see him against the top 10 team. This will be, 
you know, completely different than what he's experienced in the past. You know, Devin Brown played a, you know, red zone series against Penn State where he got hurt. He played against Purdue a little bit. And he played against Western Kentucky and Youngstown State and Indiana. You know, this is this is a major step up to get all the snaps against Missouri. And so what happens here? I I think Missouri is motivated, and I think that takes you very far. I do think Ohio State's done well in these games, right? They, they played against Utah, and, you know, with a, a wave of opt-outs and, and just a mess of a defense, they came back and won that game. You know, last year against Georgia, after getting, you know, beat up at, in the fourth quarter by Michigan, they probably should have beat Georgia last year. So I, I don't think Ohio State's going to flinch. You know, as, as an Ohio State fan, I'm nervous about this game. But just objectively, even with Devin Brown, you have the the best weapons, you know, outside of Washington and Texas. Uh, Missouri has not seen a cast of weapons like this in in their on their schedule. I think it's a close game. I think Ohio State puts it, you know, puts it out of reach in the fourth quarter. I'm going to say 34 to 24. Uh, Ohio State gets a, a double digit win. I I just think there's too much firepower and I think they have, they have too much on the lines for for Missouri uh to handle them up front. So that's that's uh the Cotton Bowl on the 29th. We're going to head to the Peach Bowl, which pits Penn State against another SEC team in Ole Miss. Number 10, Penn State, taking on number 11, Ole Miss. Uh, Penn State, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Again, a lot, of, a lot of things you don't know about who's playing in this game. Um, Ole Miss, we do know that they have a couple of guys opting out. Their two top corners are opting out of this game. So concerned about that for the Rebels. For Penn State, we know Chop Robinson is out. A lot of smoke that even though uh, Olu Fashanu is traveling with the team, he may not play. Kalen King may not play. So there's, again, there's a lot that we don't know. You're also in transition with coordinators for Penn State for both of them. So it, it's a lot of transition Here's here's my issue with Ole Miss. And by the way, Saturday, December 30th, 12 p.m. on ESPN. That's when this game is. Um, I really expected to see gaudy offensive numbers when I researched Ole Miss. And what I found was statistics that felt kind of similar to Ohio State, which were good, but not elite. And I, I think Penn State obviously has faced better personnel and I you know they held Ohio State in check they held Penn State or they held Michigan in check um I think Penn State when facing not as good defenses at times has been frustrating but they they have been able to move the ball and score I think Drew Drew Aller at times you know he's he's looked lost at times but I think at times he's looked like the five-star prospect that he is and if you look at Ole Miss you look at their offense when they face even close to anyone good on defense, they've struggled. You know, 10 points on Bama. Um, you know, they played Georgia, only they only scored 17. When they scored Mississippi State, only scored 17. And Jackson Dart was not great 
in any of those games, right? And if you look at defensive efficiency, like Penn State is the best defense they faced in, in, in terms of defen- defensive efficiency in ESPN FPI. So best defense they faced, again, no Chop Robinson, probably no Kalen King, maybe no Johnny Dixon. So that would be a, those would be tough blows, but I just I think there's enough on Penn State's defense. Like I think Adisa Isaac is is going to get pressure. I, I think again, I think Ole Miss might be a little vulnerable on their offensive line. I think Penn State special teams makes a play. Uh, one other thing to note here, and, and I'll note this as well for Michigan Alabama. College Football Nerds has a a great model that they use. It's a a statistical model that kind of evaluates teams. Their model has Penn State winning by 12. And so I I think it's a little closer, especially with the opt-outs, but I like Penn State to win in a close game. I think a lower scoring game. I've got 23-17 Penn State covers, and they go, you know, in the New Year's Six games before the playoff, I think, the Big Ten goes 2-0 against the mighty SEC. Let's go to the playoff. And we've got number four Alabama taking on Michigan, number one team in the country. The Rose Bowl game, 5 p.m. ESPN. Michigan is a two-point favorite. Now I'm on record, and, and I've said this all year. If Alabama gets into the playoff, look out. Just look out because this is what Alabama does. They play possum. Everybody says, oh, Alabama, poor Alabama. They're not going to do well. The end is near for Nick Saban. Listen, the end is not near for Nick Saban until it becomes super clear. Do not write him off after one loss, especially to another playoff team. Good job. Now, I have been very clear. I do not think Alabama deserves to be here. While I think Alabama might be the best team in this field, I do not think they deserve to be here. So what I'm about to say does not validate Alabama's existence in the playoff. At least in my mind. Because everybody will say, well, if you think that they're the better team, then they should be in the playoff. I think the playoff system is stupid. Because it should be on merit. Alabama did not deserve to be here very easily, right? Who's undefeated? Florida State. Who beat Alabama head-to-head? Texas. Easy. But since we have a stupid playoff system, here we are, and Alabama's four, and Florida State's sitting at home. Well, many of them are sitting at home because they're half of the team's not playing against Georgia. That's another, another argument for another day. Michigan is a two-point favorite, and what what shocks me is I, I expected all the analytics to favor Alabama. I, I, I thought in terms of overall talent, overall efficiency, all, all that stuff, I thought by the end of the season, I thought Alabama was would be favored in a lot of different systems and, and metrics and, and analytics. That was not the case. Same college football playoff uh, or college football nerds model has Michigan winning by 12, which just shocks me. You look at Sagarin 
Michigan is two spots better than Alabama. Michigan one, Alabama three. FPI, the top three teams in FPI are Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. In fact, I think the only power rating that values Alabama more than Michigan is the JP poll that Josh Pate puts out. So that surprised me because I, th- I think I just expected that all the analytics, which over the years have always favored Alabama, I just assumed that would be the case here. But as, I, as I've thought about it more and more, I'm like, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Like if you look at Alabama, not just in the beginning parts of the year, but even down the stretch, really struggled against Auburn, should have lost against Auburn, quite honestly. Like, if Auburn can play defense on a fourth and 31, you know, Alabama's not going to the playoff, right? You know, they, they, you know, they, they were struggling against LSU until Jaden Daniels went out, right? It was a close game against Georgia, you know, and again, they got lucky against Georgia, in my opinion, right? The, the, play before a couple plays before that that half that that ball was being juggled it should have been overturned it was not um at times Alabama has really struggled to run the ball right their receivers don't really stretch the field yet I look at Michigan and I'm like ah I really don't like how they've looked down the stretch. And I know they beat Ohio State, they beat Penn State, they beat Iowa, they beat Maryland. That even Maryland, and Maryland's not a great team, but that stretch of Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State, Iowa is is more daunting than people give Michigan credit for. Right? You go on the road to Penn State, you go on the road to Maryland the week after where when they when Maryland gets up you know, they can get on you, right? You know, and then they face Ohio State. And, you know, that's a dogfight. And I think Ohio State did really, you know, I thought they really brought toughness in that game. I thought, you know, at times played well. I thought McCord, you know, throws a, big, a back-breaking pick in the beginning of that game. And then they go to, they play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. And so they really did play a gauntlet down the stretch, particularly a defensive gauntlet. And so on one hand, I'm like, offensively, I can give them a pass. But here's my concern. Like, what are you going to do when Alabama can kind of sit on you a little bit? Because Michigan doesn't have a receiver that scares you. Like, Roman Wilson is good. Like, right? He's, he's good. He's not Malik Neighbors, right? Alabama faced him. You know, he's, he's, he's not that. Cornelius Johnson, not that. And then you look at the running back room. Like, I, I love Blake Quorum. He's a tough son of a gun. And he has played really well for Michigan over the past several years. 24 touchdowns. He's averaging less than five yards a carry. And that offensive line, and I've said it all year, has struggled to really open big holes and to provide big explosives. I think J.J. McCarthy has looked suspect at times over the past several games. 
I think he's looked rattled at times. You know, and a lot of people talk about the throw that that could have been an interception in the, the Ohio State game. Man, if a freshman player turns around, you know, everybody talking about how great of a throw that was to Roman Wilson, that touchdown. If he's actually, if he doesn't turn his back, it's an interception, an easy interception. It was not a, it was not a good decision. It happened to be a helpful, you know, it was a fortuitous uh, decision. I'll put it that way. Like McCarthy has made mistakes that he has not had to pay for. And while Jalen Milrow, I, I, I'm not sure he's progressed as much as people say he has. I will say this. Him outside the pocket scares me more than J.J. McCarthy. And I think Jermaine Burton, while I don't think he's Marv, I don't think he's uh, Emeka when he's healthy, I do think he's I, I think he's a good enough receiver to maybe do some things. I think they have enough athleticism on the outside. And here here's the kicker. I if this game were in the middle of the season and they each had a week to prepare, I think I would actually pick Michigan. Because I think the way that Michigan squeezes you, I think they could find ways to keep Jalen Milrow inside the pocket. And I think those defensive tackles would really lean on Alabama. And I, I think Michigan could get a low-scoring win. I don't like this matchup when Nick Saban has a few weeks to prepare. I, I especially don't like this matchup without Zach Zinner anchoring the center of the of their offensive line. So I I think it's close up until late in the third quarter. Maybe like a 10 to 3 or a 10 to 6, something like that. And then I, I think Alabama breaks it open late in the third quarter. Michigan makes a, a mistake in the fourth quarter trying to get back into it. I, I'm gonna go 24 to 13. Alabama over Michigan, advancing to the national championship game. Uh, I will do national championship picks in a week. Um, I'm going to wait, you know, we'll do a recap and then a recap of everything that happened. And then uh, we'll, we'll do a national championship game pick. Um, I want to talk about Washington, Texas here for a minute. This is another one where the analytics very much favor Texas. And it's, you know, you look at FPI, you look at who is favored in what matchup, you know, Texas is favored, you know, almost a 70 to 30, 70% to 30% uh, favored here. I think Texas has the better defensive line. I think they, they probably have a little bit better of a running game. I love Washington, and I feel like they have been slept on all year. I think a lot of people overlook the fact that their last, you know, six or seven games, again, was a gauntlet. They were injured. 
they were, you know, they their depth was tested. You know, I think Penix was hurt for a little bit. You know, minor injuries. Like, he wasn't out, but I think he was affected by injury. They now have some time. They've had time to heal. They've had time to get right. They've had time just to watch film on Texas. And they... They're, they've been in this position where everybody just kind of assumes, oh, they're they're not good, you know, they're not good enough. They're, you know, they they're gonna get beat by Oregon. Oregon's gonna be in the title game, uh, you know, all that stuff. And listen, I get it, I get it. Like Washington has not always looked good, but they they haven't looked good. I think more because of health than because of personnel. And. While Texas has looked very good over the past couple weeks, I mean, realize who they've played. At TCU, meh. At Iowa State, eh. Texas Tech, who I know gave Oregon a, a good game, but Texas Tech, eh. Oklahoma State, okay. Like, whatever. Whereas you look at what Washington has had to put up with, right? At USC, you know, who is still has Caleb Williams, Utah, who's a tough out at Oregon State, who is who's been a tough out, um, Washington State as a rival, and then Oregon, and it's hard to beat the same team twice, and they beat Oregon twice, and before Oregon the first time they had to play it was Arizona Oregon, and then Arizona State and Stanford those are two bad teams, but then you've got this Pac-12 gauntlet that has just you know. I think was was pretty hard, and they had to do it with a lack of uh, several of their explosive players. I I think Penix ha- is talented enough to exploit the back end of Texas's defense. I think Washington has enough of a running game with Johnson, and I think Roma Dunze and and that core of receivers is going to show the world what this offense can be. And Kalen DeBorg, I think he's going to call a, a, a phenomenal game. I like Sark. I like Texas. I think Quinn Ewers has really improved over the season. You know, I think you know Xavier Worthy is a phenomenal receiver in his own right. And I, I think Texas probably has a bit of an advantage on the lines. But I, I just think that Washington – has the explosiveness the explosiveness to really beat their corners over and over and over again. And I think Washington wins a shootout. I got 45 to 31, Washington over Texas. And I think the national championship game is Alabama, Washington. And I will not say who I'm gonna pick yet in that game. I want to I have an idea of who I, I would pick, but I want to I want to watch the playoff games before I do that. So that's those are my my picks. Let me uh, real quick. I want to talk about USC a little bit because I've I've appeared on a couple of podcasts, uh, the OHIO podcast. Uh, I got to chat signing day stuff with Eric Boggs, Buckeye Boggs, as he call as he's called. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're gonna have him on the show at some point to talk Buckeyes and uh, maybe the the future of the rivalry and a little bit of that. Uh, we're I also had a chance to talk on the Big Ten Huddle, and both of those podcasts, they were talking about USC and the trouble that USC might be in, 
And a couple of USC fans kind of chimed in on those podcasts and mentioned that we, we don't know what we're talking about, that we should kind of keep our noses out of USC, that we need to, we need to learn some stuff about USC. And so I, I appreciated that, you know, because I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know as much about USC. Uh, one, of the, one of the points of feedback was that the transfer portal stuff isn't as big of a deal as you're making it out to be. Um, maybe not, but I, I see, here's the thing. You combine the transfer portal with who's leaving in the NFL draft. I think there's a lot of concern. Max Williams, not coming back at safety. Kalen Bullock, not coming back as a safety. Like that's that's three of your top five in your secondary. You're losing a couple others uh, in, you know, as seniors. And you look at the offense and who they're losing, you know, you're losing your top two backs, you're most likely losing Caleb Williams. You're losing your top three receivers. You're losing at least two of your top offensive linemen, maybe a third in Monheim. And listen, I know people are excited about Danton Lynn, uh, the defensive coordinator, which Fun fact uh, about Danton Lynn, I had him in one of my Bible studies <laughs> when I was at Penn State, or at a, not at a Bible study, but a large group meeting uh, when he was a student at Penn State, I and mean, he played for Penn State. So just small world, I didn't realize that that was the Danton Lynn that, that USC hired. Um, really fun, really fun connection. But I, I, Danton Lynn is, is, I think, very good. I'm not... I don't really care about the defensive coordinator hire. The, the reality is USC's momentum is spiraling downward. And you got to find a way to buoy it and, and, and make, it, make it better. And I don't think anything they've done thus far gives me the impression that momentum is going to swing back, Right. Now, if Caleb Williams, you know, says he's not playing the bowl game, but he's going to come back to USC next year, that changes things. I don't think that's happening. But like you're losing all of this, all of these players who are supposed to be your next wave. And you're losing like seven starters on the offense, maybe eight. You're losing anywhere from five to seven starters on the defense. And you're... Your answer is Will Howard. Like it's not like it, to 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 quote Tony Stark from the Avengers. Not a great plan. And so to the USC fans who are saying you don't know ball or you don't know what's going on with USC, yada yada. You're right. I don't know everything that's going on with USC. I don't know everything that, that in the inner workings and whatnot. But you got to put them in context with the Big Ten that they are entering. And right now, after signing day, with what they've done, they are in a lot of trouble. Now, that can change, but I, I think you got to understand, in context, with the rest of the league, like, if, if you want to tell me how USC is going to be in the top four of the Big Ten, tell me the pathway to get there. Because if you can give me a good pathway, then I'll, I'll sit here and say, oh, that's a good point. 
But if you're just going to say, you don't know USC, they don't have these problems. You know what? No offense. Prove it. Prove it. Because I just told you why I don't think they're going to do well. Returning production, none or very little. And you're, the, the future of your program is leaving. And who you, who you got in the transfer portal is not good enough, in my opinion. So I don't, I, I don't mind it when people disagree with us. But if you're going to disagree, like give, like give us the, the rationale. Um, I, I, I don't think the Trojans are going to do well next year. I didn't think the Trojans were going to do that well this year. I kept saying eight and four, seven and five. Guess what? They're seven and five. They're not good enough. And I, I, I continue to say Lincoln Riley, he better have a top four in the big 10 season next year. Or I, I think his, he's packing his bags. So that's that'll do it for the Big Ten Football Talk podcast. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas and have a great new year. We are not going to record an episode uh, for uh, – we, we will not have uh, an episode um, until after the playoffs. We'll, we'll do a recap video um, the morning after. Um, I'll try to try to get on. Uh, before I leave for a a work conference. But we'll try to do that. Make sure, again, to like, follow, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, leave a review. Let me know what you think. And again, Happy New Year. Take care and God bless. 